Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. His name is Kane. He had a horse along the countryside. I saw him ride. He had a gun. Oh, I knew him well. And when he shot, oh, that man, he never we are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, what's up? This is a special bonus episode. This is We are coming at you like post-Christmas, post-apocalypse, post-Boxing Day, all of those things. I think it's still Kwanzaa, though. And uh, we're coming to you with our regular film podcast. But we're going to focus on just one thing this week. We're going to talk about Django Unchained. We're going to kind of forgo some of the other segments. We still have games, though, because that's fun, right, Abe? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're going to talk mainly about Django Unchained, and um, joining us to discuss the new film from Quentin Tarantino, we have writer for Damn Dirty Blog, the fastest gun in NorCal, Jordan Grout. Hello. And we have stand-up comedian and the person you may have heard on the Weekend Confirmed podcast, the hipster Hercules, Christian Spicer. Hello. Also, new Uninformed Opinions podcast oh, yeah. with Stuart Noct, who you might know as Wombat from uh, Cheap Ass Gamer. Awesome. I look, for, I look forward to listening to that. You guys doing well? So good. Yes. Do you have a Merry Christmas? <laughs> yeah, it was okay. Yeah. yeah. Was okay. <laughs> Half Merry. You didn't get that Batman Lego playset that you wanted, Jordan? No. Okay. All right, so let's uh, let's just go right into a trailer. We're gonna talk about. We're just gonna talk about one trailer. There's been tons of trailers, but we're just gonna go into. To one more recent one. We're going to talk about the Man of Steel trailer. This is the new film from Zack Snyder, producer Christopher Nolan. It already had a previous trailer back in the summer, but now we have a full-length trailer that gives us a lot more of what the movie's tone is going to be, who's involved, and what have you. So uh, let's let uh, Christian start this up. Christian, what did you think of the Man of Steel trailer? I think it looks good. I think it does what a trailer should do in that it gets people interested but doesn't give away huge plot pieces of the movie. I think it asks more questions, or I hope. That that's what it does. That's what it appears to do. Then answers. You see him, you know, in handcuffs, and you see, you know, him walking down, where you know he could break free from that. You see that there's conflict between should he use his power, should he not use his power, should he have a secret identity, should he not. And these are all things that I think people familiar with Superman, you know, know about and are aware of, and I think would get them interested in seeing how this film handles that those themes throughout Superman's career and life. And I think also could entice people who maybe aren't familiar with um, the Superman mythos to be interested in it. And also I think it does a good job of not looking too fantastical. So like people that like, Oh, I don't like superhero movies like uh, the Thor trailer, maybe with Asgard and looking all colorful. I think it presents a grounded enough movie that it could get, you know, those drama people interested to give the film a shot. All right, Jordan. Um, I like how the film, like the trailer, it starts out obviously like very serene and, and, and even when it gets to the second half where the big epic music's, music's playing, it's still very elegant. But you can tell like this is gonna be like huge and epic. And I mean that like in the best way possible. I, I can't wait for this. I, I think it's gonna be, it has a good chance of being the best Superman film yet. Which isn't hard to do, since in my opinion, none of the Superman films are really Excellent. You're not a fan of the Richard Donner films? Even number two, which I consider the best, I'm still like, 
not a huge fan of it. I enjoy it, but I, I see its flaws. Um, I, I can't really connect with it the way a lot of people do. Um, but I, I think this, just going by the trailer, could be just outstanding. It could be like the film of the summer so easily. Uh, I, I can't wait for it. Abraham. <laughs> I think it looks pretty good. Uh, I think the tone kind of shifts from that really broody, moody from the teaser uh, into what Christian had described as a lot of questions. Um, I essentially liked that it kind of it looks like he's going to his his uh, palace or his uh, fortress of solitude a little bit, and I, I kind of like I I dig that part of Superman, whereas kind of like what Jordan brought up, it it's not so flashy. Um, I think Christian brought that up, I'm sorry. But, yeah, I, I dig it a lot. Um, again, I think that Christopher Nolan would help uh, Zack Snyder rein in some of the uh, some of the ostentatious things that he does in his films. Uh, abs. So, <laughs> abs. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully it's... Uh, I don't want to get my hopes too, too high, primarily because, again, DC has been doing a pretty good job uh, with their Dark Knight series, and I... I kind of think that they're setting up for maybe something else, but let's hope that it doesn't go crazy. So, <laughs> I don't like to be the negative one on movies that people are looking forward to, but between this and Star Trek, I'm not too excited for either of these movies just by the trailers. And um, I don't know why. I, well, I guess I, I had to have an idea. Well, Star Trek, I just don't care. This movie... I know it's probably going to be good, and I'm very... I I have a lot of faith in Zack Snyder, who I like a lot, and Christopher Nolan, who I love, as well as this cast that's in this movie. But something about the, the tone of the trailer just doesn't give me Superman vibe. It gives me just kind of... It gives me Batman vibe, and if I want Batman vibe, I'll watch Batman. Like, <laughs> and... I, I, so what what is Superman vibe to you then? Just like bullets bouncing and like him standing behind an American flag or something? I mean, <laughs> in, in the loosest terms, yes, kind of. But like, in I see I see vibrant colors. I see primary colors being used in in a much more upbeat tone and something like the, which which is what the Richard Donner films do successfully, I think, while still having time to tell a good story and develop these the characters involved and have goofy Otis running around going Mr. Luthor. But like the um. I, I feel like I'm getting Superman Returns again, which is not a movie I wanted, and I I know it's going to be, I, I imagine and hope that it can be better than Superman Returns, but at the same time, what I've been shown is not uh, putting me too far off from what I saw with Superman Returns so far, which was that, you know, angsty Superman story. Oh, he's angsty. I'm not going to deny that. Why is he here? He's trying to figure out the questions, I can, I, or he's trying to figure out the answers to the questions. I can, and I can, you know, there's a lot of intrigue for sure. And I, I mean, I definitely, I want, I, opposed to Star Trek, I definitely want to see this movie more. Uh, it's just it hasn't struck me in the way of these trailers could, being the things that convince me that I want to see it necessarily. See, I think it's a tough place because if it had come out and been colorful and donnery, I think a lot of people then would have been arguing it's taking the Superman Returns approach and showing something that's very similar to what was done because Superman Returns kind of, you know, officially slash unofficially attached itself to the Donner films and continued that thread. And I think 
for them to come in and get a clean break and start again, I feel like the muted color tones and maybe the somber type of film and removing the John Williams score and even not using the name Superman in the title were all things that were done in an effort to be like, look, this is a fresh start. We're starting over. This does not connect to those other films at all. If you loved those, great. Still come see this one. If you hated those, great. Come see this one. And I think it's all, you know, very intentional and it will live or die on its own merits than on something else. And yeah, now I, de- I definitely agree with everything you just said there. It's just, I just, there's this nagging sense to me of like, when I see, and I get, cause it, I guess it, you can say it applies to Batman too, but that works so well and I wasn't thrown off by that. But then again, the tone matched the character with how like Batman Begins was starting fresh, but still giving you that, it, it doesn't give you like a comic booky vibe in the way that uh, Burton's or Schumacher's films did. I, so, it's a weird place because I, I definitely want to see this movie and I'm happy with what the final product's probably going to be, but the trailers, I guess, just haven't, they're not the things that are swaying me to see it. Even though I understand exactly why they're marketing it this way. So it's a weird kind of, bad. well, I'll, I'll say this. There's a, hmm. there's a version of the trailer that takes out the score that's in the, the score that's in the regular version and puts in the John Williams score. And that's a movie I want to see. Like, there's a completely different movie there, and I really want to see that movie. And I, so I, I do understand that, yeah, it needs to se- definitely separate itself from those other films, but that John Williams score is pretty iconic, and, and I, but I guess in the same way that Danny Elfman's score for Batman is pretty iconic. So I, yeah, it is, it's a weird place to sit in, but I mean, yeah, I want to see this movie. I just, yeah, it, it's, I don't know, it's not a... We'll see when we get there. Well, I, I like how there's, no, like, unnecessary sense of, like, mystery, like, some clues we have to figure out, like, like, J.J. Abrams, like, with Star Trek, it's like, oh my god, who's the villain gonna be? Blah, blah, blah. But not only that, but, like, uh, Just with tell Super us who the too. villain is. Who cares? I like how this movie has none of that. It's like, it's a Superman movie, here's the villain, this is what's gonna happen, have fun. Yeah, well, sure. Alright, uh, Man of Steel comes out June 14th, 2013. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to seeing Michael Shannon as Zod. I like that. I like that idea. Just saying. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's just get into it. Let's go to our film review for Django Unchained. Do you know what a bounty hunter is? You kill people, and they give you a reward. Hmm. Better they are, bigger the reward. I need your help. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. However, I don't know what they look like, but you do. <laughs> don't you? They caught my wife, and they sold her, but I don't know who to. That means we visit every plantation until we find them. Once a final Brittle Brother lies dead in the dust, I agree to give you your freedom, and I'll take you to rescue your wife. Where are we going? Gentlemen, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. All right, so that should have been some of the trailer for Django Unchained. This is the new film from director, Qu- writer-director Quentin Tarantino starring Jamie Foxx as Django, a freed slave, freed by Christoph Waltz's character, Dr. Schultz, a dentist-turned-bounty hunter. And the two have teamed up to both take down a gang known as the Brittle Brothers, as well as find Jamie Foxx's character, Django's lost wife, uh, Broomhilda, played by Carrie Washington. 
This eventually takes them to the owner of a plantation, a wildly eccentric and evil owner of, a, of the plantation, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, the two basically hatch a scheme to get the wife back from this plantation. So with all that said, let's start with Jordan this time. Jordan, what did you think of Ooh. Django Unchained? I'm still on the fence whether it's my favorite movie of the year or my second. Uh, I, I really loved it. Uh, Ghost Rider I, I Spirit of Vengeance, of course, being the film that... Well, yeah. I mean, is it as good as uh, Resident Evil Retribution? I don't know yet. I'll get back to you. But as it is, like, it's just like such an effortless movie. Like, he makes it seem so easy. And, and like, everything about it, from the performances to the music, like, it's just outstanding. The cinematography. And... I, I know, um, like, uh, who who was it that was originally supposed to play Django? It was uh, Will Smith, right? Will Smith was in Tux, yeah. Yeah. And watching it, like, I can't imagine anyone else but Jamie Foxx uh, playing this role. Uh, well, yeah, go go on and I'll say more. Okay, Christian, what do you think? So I'm really curious to see what you guys say that liked it. I found it very meh, to, in, in one word, like, I'm not a film student, so I'm sure I could appreciate the, I thought the performances were great. I'm sure the cinematography was fantastic and the composition and the lighting and everything. And I, I imagine it was like Tarantino was often one to do emulating the style of Westerns or seventies, you know, movies or something like he had a style that he was emulating and going off of. And I'm sure he nailed that out of the park as an homage. But in terms of just like sitting down to watch, I found it uneven. I found it in desperate need of an editor. I found it three movies in one. I found the characters, um, none of the the moves, which I know we can get into the spoilers later, but just to say up front, I found a lot of their moves weren't justified or the payoffs weren't earned um, in, in terms of in the storytelling and the script writing itself. And not to sound racist, I found some of the people I think that you were supposed to feel uh, evil, find their actions abhorrent while they were awful and horrible. I didn't feel like they were that much more awful or horrible than how a lot of people acted in that time. So while it was horrible to watch a lot of stuff, it's almost, you know, like watching Roots. These are horrible people, but they're all horrible people. Like that's, we're a horrible country. I get that. But above and beyond that, I didn't see that seething evil in some of these people. Alright. Uh I thought it was okay. I'm kind of really on board there with Christian, which is uh, kind of weird, because I, I was expecting a lot of Quentin Tarantino-ish type things. Uh, I didn't find the dialogue all that snappy like some of his other films. Um, this is one of the most linear Quentin Tarantino films, because it doesn't jump back from, oh, this happened way back then, and this happened then. Um, I, I I did find the tone to be uneven as well. I found the first act to be pretty cool, where they're kind of buddy-buddy, and then uh, the third act to be pretty cool, too, when they kind of have some action set pieces. But overall, I didn't realize that it was three hours long, and I, I remember distinctly looking at it, and I was thinking, oh, it's two hours, or something like that. And so, for me, the film just felt long, so that kind of gets back into the editing uh, part that Christian brought up. Also, I found it strange that, uh, and this goes back to the tonality of the film, 
I found it strange that some people were laughing at brutal violence, uh, and that's not to say that it, it wasn't funny or, or whatever have you. I mean, people would take it for what they will, but I found it really uh, uncomfortable, uh, and that's just, you know, for instance, when Jamie Foxx and Dr. Schultz go and kill a sheriff, obviously he, it's a, it's a bounty on that person, but, you know, he just shoots him outright and the whole entire crowd just erupts in laughter. And I was thinking, dude, this guy just got murdered, um, in front of everybody, in front of the whole town. And half the people in the audience are laughing hysterically. Um, so the tone is a little uneven for me. Uh, I found the use of the N word to be incredibly gratuitous that it kind of just, it, it kind of lost its its whole entire notion of this is funny and this is a word that was used all the time that I was really put off by it, uh, you know. So overall, I, I didn't really like it that much. I don't I don't really know where the 88% on Rotten Tomatoes really comes from. So enlighten me. <laughs> all right, well, it's two, two to two on this one because I love this film as well. The... Um... To, to me, this is Tarantino's take on a spaghetti western. Just as he's done his own war movie, and he's done his own black exploitation movie, and he's done his own, he's done some of his gangster movies and his martial arts flicks. This is another Tarantino spin on a, a different genre, and I had a ton of fun watching it. I think the, I do think the dialogue's very snappy. I love a lot. Be, it takes a lot to make prolonged sequence of dialogue interesting, but I think Tarantino just has that gift, and he, I feel like he proved it once again here. The uh, the performances are wonderful. I love Christoph Waltz, who basically dominates the first half of this movie. Then DiCaprio comes in, and he has is having like the time of his life in this movie. And then Sam Jackson somehow decides to act for a change, not just be screaming. And he has he's both really funny, but also kind of sinister in what his what in the way he's chosen kind of a side in all of this. And then Jamie Foxx is just a, a good balance of cool, who definitely becomes something of his own in the later act of this film. The I love the look of this film. I love the way the violence is handled is something that it fits in line with with things that Tarantino did in like the Kill Bill movies, where it's deliberately over the top, just to basically lessen the impact of how right. how crazy think- everything is, because it would be brutal if you're just showing straight up gunshots. But the fact that he has like these gallon squibs going off and every every gunshot that happens is just. I can see why the violence is funny because it's just so ridiculous on purpose. It, it lessens it. And everything else about this just comes together right for it. The way he uses sats, the, the different soundtrack toys in this film, the way it's shot, the way, the, just the, the general look of, of various vistas and clo- like just the, the way he, he's made his own Western film, and def- but it definitely has that Tarantino spin on it. That's why I really love this movie. Yeah, and I know, um, Abe, you said that you were bothered by some of the violence and people were laughing. Like, I mean, there, there are times when, yeah, like, a, a death is supposed to be comical. But then there were other times when, like, it's terrifying. And, yeah. I, like, I, I, I feel like he knew how to play that. And, like, the ones that were comical were just so over the top. And I, I, I think it works. I, I think it's not. I, I didn't think it was inappropriate or, 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 or out of place tonally. Uh, for, yeah, for, for me, I, I thought he knew how to draw the line expertly. And with, with the N-word, yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be <laughs> repulsive. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, it's not right. a movie where you walk out, you're like, I'm gonna start saying that word every day. And, right. you know, it's, it's something, you know, you, you sit in the theater and 
you kind of cringe each time they say it. And, uh, and they say it like every other word, which is which is excessive to me. Uh, but Aaron, to your point about the, the, the gratuitous violence in Kill Bill, I thought about that too, which is uh, I liked it better in Kill Bill probably because, you know, when the bride is slashing people up at the bar, I mean, they're, they're held on for a second and then the guy is just screaming wildly. Whereas in this one, it's just like dudes are getting shot up like crazy. Um, and repeatedly, <laughs> like just dead bodies are repeatedly being shot up. I was just thinking, this is, yeah, this is cool. This kind of shows a different uh, aspect of violence in film. But at the same time, it's just, it's just, it's not that it's distasteful. It's just more like it's unpolished. It doesn't, it didn't feel like Tarantino uh, to me. I See, I think it fits what, what how weapons in the West work, where they are, they're just, when you have guns from Ben, when you're fanning pistol shots and you're using rifles and things, they're wildly inaccurate and they go all over the place. Yeah. And I think he's showing that messiness. Yes, there's also giant squibs in place, which I've kind of went into already, but I like the fact that it's the way he stages the action scenes in this movie, like the, it is a, me- it's messy because of that's kind of the way the weapons work, man. They make these. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah, um, it sense to me. But, okay, I, what about the performances? Oh yeah, I, I found the performances of Christoph Waltz uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio and Sam Jackson to be fantastic. Uh, I thought that Jamie Foxx was a little bit t- kind of taking it over the <laughs> over the edge a little bit. Uh, and Kara Washington, I just felt that he was kind of li- really kind of overacting at some parts, especially when he becomes like the the centerpiece of the the main centerpiece of the film. Um, and I think that Kara Washington was just she was just, she was just there. Uh, she didn't really do a whole lot, so. Well, I mean, she's not given a whole lot of screen time, but I felt like she really made the most out of, you know, the couple minutes she was in it, and and um, like it's a testament to how good of an actress like I I think she is, where I feel like she did create this like whole character in just a small amount of time. I don't know, I don't know about that, but I I did like, well, when they tie it back into like the Broomhilda story that the German, you know, the dirt. The German uh, fairy tale thing, I found that to be cool because, it's like, oh yeah, she is a person that someone would go to extreme lengths to get back. And I was like, yeah, she, her beauty is defined that way. So that that is a good choice, and that is a that is a nice casting choice for that. Uh, but overall, I, mean, I, I didn't really get a sense of her character per se. I mean, she's you see her intermittently throughout the film, just kind of teasing them to Candyland, and then she doesn't really do a whole lot else. Okay, so ignoring that this is an homage to a spaghetti western or any of the technical details, which maybe your listeners are screaming at me being like, well, that's what makes a great movie. Okay, I don't care about you. We're getting all that out the window. (laughs) If you're going to sit down and watch a movie, be it any other Tarantino movie or any other movie that's come out recently, to like sit and watch a movie to enjoy, would you pick this movie? And I'm asking the question, my answer I think it's pretty clear at this point would be no. I think I'd pick any other Tarantino movie other than this. I mean, especially coming off of Inglorious Bastards, which I think is pretty perfect. Um, to come to see this, it's just, I wouldn't, yeah, I don't think I'd ever choose to watch this again. And I'm glad I saw it, but I don't think I'd, knowing what I know, I would have gone gone and seen it, if that makes sense. Like, I don't regret the decision. I feel like it was worth seeing to experience. But, like, if someone's like, what do you want to do with a Saturday afternoon or Saturday night? 
this would never be on my list for just like a fun, good movie to watch. Would it make yours, Aaron? Is this up there for you? Oh, well, yeah, yes, it is up there for me. And I would agree that it's not as good as Inglorious Bastards, but I also think it's, it's not in the same kind of league of those Tarantino, like, I, in terms of other Tarantino movies, it feels, it, it definitely feels more in line with something like the Kill Bill films as opposed to something like Inglorious Bastards or Jackie Brown, maybe. I mean, because of the way it, there's a there's something less I guess subversive about what's going on in Django Unchained. It's 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 not a it's not commenting on anything. It doesn't have a it doesn't have more on its mind than just what it is, which is basically a revenge fantasy story about a slave who gets to take on the white people, mixed with you know all the other craziness that goes with what's in Tarantino movies in general. And so like for Inglorious Bastards, that's a movie that works on a number of different levels and is what I would consider a perfect film, but. That, that that's to take away from Django for me because I just think the movie's tons of fun. I I had I didn't I, I didn't have problems with the length or the tone or it feeling uneven. I didn't have any of those pro- for me. I didn't have any of those problems. So I would I I say it falls in line with something like Kill like Kill Bill, Volume Two, Volume One. Like it just because of the way everything comes together for the type of film that it is. I but feel like. Kill Bill. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, for Kill Bill, I, I could go along with those, and even the violence in Reservoir Dogs is pretty graphic, uh, and I was okay with that, because I was thinking, oh, okay, well, Michael Madsen's just like this crazy guy, and also when they're shooting a bunch of innocent cops, I was like, oh, well, you know, I can, I could really feel that, uh, Tim, or, uh, whatever his name is, Ross. Tim Ross? Tim, yeah, Tim, I was like, oh, I could really feel his character really, like, being ambivalent toward this act, these these violent actions toward his fellow officers. Spoiler alert. Um, and for for Django, yeah. It, it, to answer Christian's question, I would rather watch Pulp Fiction again because I like the dialogue in that a lot better. Um, and this one wouldn't really come up on a oh let's watch a Tarantino movie on the weekend. This one probably wouldn't really come up because I was thinking, do you have three hours to spend? I'd rather watch The Hobbit. I mean, I would say. Django, I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't outrank Pulp Fiction to me. It doesn't outrank Jackie Brown or Inglorious Bastards to me, but I'd say it outranks several other of Tarantino's movies for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'd watch this again any Saturday afternoon with people. Christian, what do you think of the, what do you think about the performances in the movie? I mean, I think they were well done. I, I think they were well acted. Um, I, I, I do think Jamie Foxx's would be the easiest to replace um, with, I think another actor could have pulled off that role. Um, I don't know. It, it seemed like it didn't require much outside of what I've kind of, I guess I know Jamie Foxx can do. Maybe I'm, that's, right. I'm being overly critical because I've seen Jamie Foxx, you know, win an Oscar and, you know, be pretty incredible. Um, I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio stole the show. I think that, his character's writing. Well, I guess I, I guess I didn't buy some of his. Um, I don't think some of his moves were earned necessarily, um, but more so for uh, what's his name, uh, Schultz. Short Schultz. Schultz. Uh, uh, Schultz. I feel like that character was well acted, but those are the character moves that I feel like were the least earned throughout the movie. So while I was, I found myself enjoying his portrayal of that character. I found myself removed from the movie thinking, I I don't think he, this person that I saw in the first third of the movie would do the, what I'm seeing in the second and, and third parts of the movie. 
Interesting. You're talking about Dr. Schultz? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. We can delve more into that when we get Yeah, I was like, we might have to go into spoiler territory with that one. <laughs> but I like how Schultz... Okay, like, in comparison with uh, his character in Inglourious Bastards, it's, it's the complete, like, 180 on the moral compass. But I love how he kind of uses the same strategy. Like, he'll bring, he'll, like, real people in with his charisma and then just, like, kill them. And I, I, I thought he did that so wonderfully. And yet, and although he uses kind of the same strategy, uh, and I'll get into this in spoilers, like, there are moments where it's like, oh, my God, it was, it was heartbreaking. And I, I think he, he definitely deserves another, uh, maybe not the Oscar, but at least a nomination. I think he definitely, he, he, he definitely has a handle on how Tarantino dialogue works in the same way that Samuel L. Jackson is basically the master of Tarantino <laughs> dialogue. And I mean, and I, I do think that it, it's a wonderful performance that could easily, he's create, he, he has a, he has a way of delivering lines, which is in line with his other character in The Glorious Bastards, but I do think that he's able to separate himself from that role given the way his character is designed, and it seems more, more in tune with this persona that Walt, that Christoph Waltz is embodying this time around, as mm-hmm. yeah, opposed to just being another spin on Hans Landa. Right, right. <laughs> Hans Landa, that's the name. Yeah. I thought so many little things just made me giggle, like the tooth on top of the the, the uh, carriage. That was so carriage. funny. Like each time it like bobbed back and forth, that made right. me laugh uncontrollably. Uh, and 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 I love the scene when um when they're first coming up to Candyland and they're kind of blurred in Sam Jackson's eyes, and then <laughs> and then they become clear. And his face is priceless. Yeah, he says a lot of priceless things during that exchange too. Yeah, oh yeah. And Tarantino certainly likes giving Samuel L. Jackson hair in his movies, because he always has something wild going on. This time he has, like, what, a little dollop of gray hair right in the middle of his forehead? <laughs> middle of his head, <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a balding big boy. <laughs> a big boy. balding big <laughs> boy. <laughs> but, uh, another scene I really liked a lot, which the dialogue was kind of funny, was, uh, with Don Johnson and them going after, uh, the two bounty hunters. That scene is amazing to me. See, that's like... Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not disagreeing. I, I, like the, I like the dialogue in that a lot, which is just like, this is so slapstick and stupid that I'm sure that there were problems... Like, this is poking fun at something that I can familiarize myself with, which is like, yes, these people are... These certain folks and people during that time were not the kindest, but and not the, the brightest. But, I mean, yeah, this is making fun of those those certain types of people that would do something like that. Um, and that was funny to me. See, that scene gets to a point where it's like blazing saddles in terms of its comedy and way, the way it's, <laughs> the way it's like, it's playing around with the, with the notion of racism and these evil right. guys being acting inept. And that, I love the way that plays out. I love the way that comes into a film like this. Yeah. So I've, I've heard a lot of talks about this being, Samuel Jackson, one of Samuel Jackson's best roles. I happen to agree with that. But what do you guys think? I think that it was pretty good. I, I, I definitely, I mean, there's a certain point in the film where he kind of becomes Dr. Glass, and I was like, this is awesome! Um, but for the most part, yeah, the way that he delivered his dialogue, the way that he was able to emote some of the, the words that were on the page, I thought it was pretty good. And again, I agree with Aaron. It's like, it's just not Samuel Jackson yelling at things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way you could see him acting 
as the character. Like, Samuel L. Jackson was the character, and then that character was also acting um, as a specific role. And I think that the way they could show you that, the way they showed you that, was interesting and, and well done and nuanced on Samuel L. Jackson's part, whereas other times I feel like you see that happen in movies, and it's like when they try to act as their character, that's the only time they're acting. And then when their character's not acting, it's like, oh, look, it's Tom Cruise just running around or whatever. <laughs> but Samuel L. Jackson, the actor, you know, acted as two distinct characters, but at the same time that are believable as how one person may act in those types of situations. You said you ain't know me. Huh? I said... You said you ain't know him. I don't. Yes, you do. Mrs. Stevens, I don't. Why is you lying to me? Then why is you crying? You're scaring me. Why is I'm scaring you? I said mm-hmm. act a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh. I, I, I agree. I, I do think it's one of Samuel Jackson's, one of his best roles in the way, basically, you guys have all described. He's acting in this movie. He is, he's, he's playing a character that only Samuel L. Jackson can play, but at the same time, he's not playing it in the same way that he's playing, like, Nick Fury, where he's, you know, clearly just Sam Jackson showed up and he's saying his lines and he's, he's, he's certainly entertaining, but he does, doesn't do much to bring to the table. Here he's bringing it. He, he, he wants to be here, which seems very apparent. Um, one other thing that I'd uh, like to bring up, too, is just, again, where the, the violence kind of gets a little weird, is just uh, when Jamie Foxx is like, uh, he's, he's trying to confront a group of people toward the end, and then he says, hey, ladies, say goodbye to this one person. And, you know, <laughs> This person gets completely like pulled away from the screen, and people busted up laughing. But I was thinking, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I know, that was so funny. How can you not laugh at that? I mean, like, what did this person do like to deserve this? Besides being like, yeah, obviously a plantation owner. Well, let's get into spoilers then, because we can talk exactly about what that person did. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. I- Anyone who's listening to this should know that, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about, we're going to continue talking about Django Chain, but we're going to be more open with various details about the plot so we can get more spoiler heavy. So, you know, just be conscious of that. Schultz dies. Schultz dies. He dies. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk to this away, by the way. Before we lose the train of thought here, let's get to, let's get to, to, uh, sorry, what's her, what's her name? To, uh, I forget her name too. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's sister. Candy's sister. Candy's sister. Candy's sister, sure. But I, I, I felt as though she didn't really... She's the one that suggested what the torture for Django was going to be. She's the one that said... I, I don't think she did. She, I think... Jackson lays that out for her. She's the one that came up with that plan. He's a fucking liar. He's like an Uncle Tom liar. Why does he, why does he need to lie at this point? Oh, no, see, I think that he wasn't lying. I think he was saying that this bitch is so stupid. No one could think... They were like, let's kill him, let's kill him, let's kill him. And I kept saying this, and I kept saying this, and I kept saying this. And then... Uh, Miss Candy had the greatest idea. She said this. And I think that she was just such an idiot. And Sam Jackson is so good at manipulating. Yeah. That she was the only one that was open to it. And then she thought she had the idea. But no way was that. Her, she was just parroting and trying to make um, Stephen happy. Like subconsciously. Because she was such a shell of a human being just there to please. 
please and smile and oh thank you i'm so proper i'm so proper i don't think it was like her evil idea that came up with this laurel e candy fitzwilly is her name is that what her name is and yeah but again just to just to finish my train of thought it's just i don't really appreciate on film when like innocent folks are taken out and the way that she was taken out was, yeah, it was fun and cool. But again, I did not laugh at all. The whole entire theater busted up. And that really bothered me because what did she do? I, I don't understand. What did she do to deserve this besides being the brother or the sister of the plantation owner who was like, you know, obviously he has just these giant man-on-man fights which are unethical and unhuman. But I don't I don't see, besides, you know, her owning some slaves, I don't know what where her faults were. You really need to be tricky with that. Besides her owning some slaves of the plantation, you don't see why she's a bad person. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, like, <laughs> That's what you just said out loud. I mean, come on. Right, yeah, but I mean, the founding fathers themselves owned slaves, too. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, come on, give me a break. So don't use that argument. I mean, that's... And I want to go down that path because that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, these are all horrible people, but they were very much, to some extent, accurate depictions of people of their time. Well, and everybody she... else, we're seeing these people, and these people well, are right. evil, and it's a movie about them. <laughs> but if she deserved to be killed, so then uh, Django I... should have killed Schultz because Django Schultz enslaved him when it benefited him. Schultz is just as big of an asshole until the end when all of a sudden he's sympathetic. He should have. She should have killed that Sheba girl, too, because she was just, like, a house slave who was, like, kind of Uncle Tommy with uh, with with uh, Stephen. Yeah, he didn't – and Schultz didn't free Django until he had got what he wanted. Like, he very much – you know, he bought him. He, he said, Which you know, he directly he addresses. He's, 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 he knows he's at a point where he, he hates – he addresses the fact that he abhors slavery. He says that out loud. Yeah. But he also so – he knows that, that he needs this person. That's why him. he got him to begin with. He knows he needs you know, this person. That's him manipulating Django not to just kill him right then and that he was being that's sincere. It. I don't think Django would uh, – for being freed out of, you know, where he is, walking through the cold barefoot, I don't think he's about to run up and kill this guy that did that just be, just so he can get, you know, more free. I think he knows he's already in a position of of – you know, he's in a positive position already. That's an interesting point you bring up, Christian, about the uh, the manipulations of Dr. Schultz as well, because, again, that does come up a couple of times, which is, you know, he, he tells Django, oh, you got to shoot that guy down there because he's a, he's a stagecoach driver. And then Django kind of uses that to subversively get himself free later, too. But that person down there was probably just target practice. and so It was a bounty. It wasn't target practice. But what is there a bounty? Yeah, was there a bounty that time? On which? On, on the on who? On the farmer. On the, farm, on the father. Farm. That the, he pulls out the damn bounty and shows him. Yeah, <laughs> he's, no, he names like, exactly. He's worth seven. Yeah, he shows him a slip. No, no, no. And, and that, that happens in the movie too when Django does it. We never exactly, see that yeah. guy's face. It never matches the picture of the poster. We never see that guy get dropped off to the sheriff. We never see him get. No, no, no. But I mean, not all that. But I mean, it, when when uh, when Christoph Waltz requests to have like a private conversation before they get to Candyland. Like, Django actually brings up, he's like, you mean also the guy that you you made me kill in front of his son? I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Like, Don't get so carried away with your retribution. You lose sight of why we're here. You think I lost sight of that? Yes, I do. Stop antagonizing Candy. I'm not antagonizing. I'm intriguing him. You're yelling abuse of these poor slaves? I would call the man who had me kill another man in front of his son. And he didn't bat an eye. You remember that? Yeah, of course I remember. What you said was, was that this is my world. And in my world, you gotta get dirty. 
So that's what I'm doing. I'm getting dirty. And again, I just felt as though, okay, well, that was just one of those things where Christoph Waltz is able to pull some strings. I'm not saying that Christoph Waltz was a bad guy, because he, he did hate the ideas of, you know, what was going on during that time period anyway. That's exactly why he makes his turn in the last act of this movie. Yeah, yeah which, dies. you know, good for him, you know, but, but it's just, but, I'm just, basically my point is, yeah, maybe there was more to the Christoph Waltz character. Why does he make that turn then, Aaron? Like, because that to me seems, at this point, They've freed uh, Django's wife. He's paid twelve grand. He's paid more than he wanted to, and they could have left, and then they could have planned something and been stealthy and come back and killed all of them. Like what? It's because, you, it's I because just... of pride. It's it, it all comes down to pride, which is something that Tarantino's explored in other movies as well. It's pride that with them. It's pride that DiCaprio is he get he's gotten he's had himself gotten the better of. Christoph Waltz's character loves having these elaborate plans. He, he's established this. He loves using the most elaborate plan possible. He could have easily approached the situation a different way, as well as many of his other tar- bounties that he's gone after in the past. He didn't have to shoot the sheriff in the in the street the way he did, but that's the way he did it. He designed this very elaborate plan to go through it. He's done this now at Candy's farm, and it's failed. It's failed completely, and Candy's making fun of him for it. And he's also he's also seen D'Artagnan get horrifically brutalized and. Earlier on, he's it's it's got to him to this point where he's just can't control. It. He literally that's his last lines. He couldn't control himself. He he it all comes down to his own pride has got the better of him, and now he, it's led to his his own demise just because he wants to prove a point. That's that's guess, what I've seen in that character. I I get that, but I guess maybe his portrayal there didn't seem like a man engulfed in rage or pride. Like for a little bit, he was there, like still being polite and having him sign things. I almost I think I would have believed it more. If when he brought the deed over to Candy to have him sign, if he like then took the pen and stabbed it in his—that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> he was trying like to stop like, the whole time. He wanted to leave. He did not want to act. He he was—you could see boiling within him as he's telling him to yeah, shake yeah, his yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I don't think they earned that payoff. I think they let it lie, and then the way it came up again. I didn't. Um, I didn't believe. And if, if it was the pride that got to him, if that was really it. He was flashing back, like showing us Schultz's internal monologue or dialogue uh, of Tartanian getting torn up, and like that was the motivating factor. It wasn't. It didn't show him getting fooled over and over again, and that's what built up his rage. They kept showing the dogs eating the slave, and like that finally tipped him over the edge. But he wasn't that. They hinted that he was compassionate. I don't know. I feel like. Tarantino undid some of what he was maybe trying to do, or maybe it was just more complex and I'm too stupid to follow it. Well, no, yeah, it, it, either. it shows him earlier on, too, when it's happening. He's in that carriage. He's incredibly uncomfortable. And DiCaprio addressed address that exactly. He says, yo, man, is not, does not seem to be comfortable. He's like, he's just not used to to being to being in America, like he he, he I feel like he establishes these things properly, and I, I feel like I mean, the turn is what makes it interesting because it could be just a simple, hey, we got her, now we can leave, but then it 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 goes back on itself and shows that Christoph Waltz has a, a completely other side to him as well, where he it's showing his abhorrence of slavery coming out literally because it leads to his own death because of what he wants to believe in, what he wants to stand for, and it's standing against this evil that's in this house. That's in but candy, isn't that that's in the candy the... plantation that applies to everybody in that plantation, including Laura Lee, Candy, Fitzwillie. And that works with your pride argument? Because I feel like you just gave two completely different explanations for the same scene. Is it one? Or is it both? I feel like it can be multi-layered. <laughs> but I mean, technically speaking, I think that that's where Christian and I are saying like, there needed to be an editor that needed to really figure this stuff out, because 
again, there's a lot of weird character turns that I don't I don't really understand either. And if there was a, a solid editor, apparently like Quentin Tarantino's editor of choice, she passed away or something like that. So it's it wasn't edited by the same ones. Tyler Mitchell passed away a couple years ago. His assistant editor on some of his films has taken over the reins. Yeah, I thought so, the editing was just fine. I thought it was I would agree. perfect. What was Christian? What you were getting at something earlier in the main review that was Kyler spoiler territory. Do you remember what you were trying to get at? Well, it was about Schultz's turn when he pulls out the gun. I feel like that, like kind of we talked about, is kind of unowned and then I, unearned. And I feel like Candy, while a horrible human being, in terms of like a Tarantino film. He, aside from living in the time in which he lived and participating in the horrible horrors that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people participated in, I feel like Tarantino usually ups his, his evil stakes higher in people, and I feel like they didn't, he, so he participated in slave fighting and owned a very large plantation, but then when we got to the plantation, it wasn't, it didn't look horrible, it didn't look like he mistreated, aside from being slaves. Hot bugs. I again. That's what I'm saying. You're putting I'm in a lot of asides, though. I think I think you're downplaying how evil these things are. Just because we're not seeing everybody's to everybody else in this in this universe that did exist, I don't think that just that that makes him less evil. No, I'm not saying it makes him less evil either. But um, I think he is an an evil human being, just like the owner of the first plantation they visit is an evil human being. But I feel like in, in Tarantino, I expected him to do something else, to have another layer of something that is, oh, that's really fucked up, instead of being what I would consider a very believable character of a person living in the world two years before the Civil War. Jordan, were, did you have another spoilery thing? Oh, no, I, I was just going to talk more about uh, Schultz. Like, going back to his turn, I, I, I kind of felt with the movie – as a whole, like, before they got to Candyland, like, as a viewer, like, there was so much violence that I kind of got, like, became immune to it. Like, it's kind of stopped bothering me here and there. But what I loved about it was once the dog just rips apart that slave, like, I, like that is terrible. Like, it was terrifying. And, like, kind of like with the Schultz character, that scene kind of stuck with me, like, all the way up until his death. So that's where I can say, like, yeah, I... I completely understand his turn. Because um, I, I, I can understand him just wanting to leave and get out of there. But when he, he kind of eggs him on with the handshake at the end, and I was like, oh my god, just get rid of him! And, and so when he killed him, I, I thought it was fantastic. And, and that dog ripping uh, the guy part, mixed with the, the fighting, that totally justifies that despicable character. More yeah. so than like Don Johnson, who is more like distinguished, almost to a more Don distinguished. Johnson's character was just like really jokey, and there's a ghost calling you, by the way. I know, I know. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. I'll be right back. <laughs> I think of Don Johnson's character just like because he attacks first, and he's just he's just an idiot. <laughs> he's an idiot, and you know he's an evil slave owner guy. But at the same, but but in the big house because he's big daddy. He reminds so, me a lot of Colonel Sanders. I mean, at the same time. There's no re- there'd be no reason for him to get killed if he didn't come out and try to attack Schultz and Django, which he does. Yeah, I, mean, and I think that's his, that goes back his to demise is a result of his action. Yeah, right. Which I, I I totally I totally buy that I guess, and I don't think that Candy's insistent on a handshake is is of the same level of inciting 
that type of of violence from from Schultz. And I also I feel like uh, Stephen Samuel L. Jackson's character figuring it out happened very quickly. It's like one scene. He's like they're in there, and I didn't get the impression that. Jamie Foxx and um, what's her name were like making eyes at each other a whole bunch. Like I feel like Samuel L. Jackson's character figured that out awfully quickly and awfully. Can I understand like when they brought brought her out to show her, you know, the whipped back and stuff like that? I thought it was a move, and then they could dive deeper. But before that, I didn't feel like they were really heavily flirting with each other. And here's Stephen. He's like, oh, I figured it out. And then, oh, here, let me. I'm gonna pull you know, candy away and, and explain it to him. And he just believes it so immediately. He doesn't have to explain it. He's like, so they they know each other. They're married. I think so. Oh, okay. Well, I was played. You're right. Like, why wouldn't candy at that point go in and then want to call the bluff more and say, okay, you have five days. Like, let that play out. You have five days. You can come back and buy, um, whatever. His he was name ne- they're never going to come back in five days. That was never well, right, but you, don't, you don't have to give him the wife then either. Say that she'll be here. There's a lot of the, other ways the wife's to play right there. that. You can do that easily. He's got, he's got $300 or whatever. It, it could have been a Casa de Me Padre kind of situation, right, Christian? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if... Can, well, <laughs> where, they, where they roll up in catalog escalades and they just have a giant battle. If, yeah, if Candy... I, I would have loved to have seen that. That would have seemed Tarantino-y to me. Like Candy that yeah, that would have been jokey for me to be like, this is awesome! So push those stakes, say, like, try to call Schultz's bluff and be like, okay, yeah, let's talk about selling her. Okay, 300 that's great. Well, you know what? I don't want to inconvenience you, so why don't you come back with two? Because, you know, handling one slave is tough enough. Now, you know, don't make two, tr- or whatever, like, and then let them, like, play that game with them. I felt like, oh, we're hitting the three-hour mark. I need to get some stuff done. Okay, let's just get this out of the way and move the fuck on. But I, I, I don't think that was his character, though. And I, I completely bought the fact that he blew up. And once again, with Schultz, like, it's about pride. And he wasn't the type of person, like, when he feels that he's been, like, insulted, that he's being taken for a fool, like, he is this, like, eccentric person who won't just play it cool. He'll, like, he'll play it cool only for so long. Um, and that asking for a handshake becomes a catalyst. Right. I, I read Candy more as, like, and like his lawyers, like you know, don't speak French. He doesn't know it. That makes him feel embarrassed. I read him, saw him more as like a phony intellectual. Yeah. So I would have liked to have seen him come mm-hmm. back, try to pitch his own plan, but it's like horribly stupid. And Schultz is like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like a good idea. And Stephen's like, master, no, that is a stupid. Like he's like, yeah, take her now. Well, I think I think, then, I think Stephen's clearly like the smart, the smartest guy in the room. I mean, between, exactly. between in yeah. the plantation. And Candy knows a lot about things, but not enough to be able to outwit certain people. And so that's why yeah. he does blow up. He doesn't have the resources to do anything other than blow up in certain scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I not- mean, like, one of the first things that clues you into that is, like, the first shot of Steven is actually him signing and writing and stamping a check in the name of uh, Mr. Candy anyway. So it's, it's like he's right. accountant, he's, like, the brains of the operation, so to speak, of running the plantation. And Candy's kind of just sitting back and relaxing. Which is why I buy Candy completely believing Steven... I mean, I mean, oh yeah, I buy that too. I feel like they don't. I understand that setup with him writing the checks, and I do agree that Stevens is a smart one. But then they downplay that at the beginning, unless it's Candy trying to just really be a gentleman and exert his power in front of Schultz, who he believes is this baller. When he's like sitting there publicly reprimanding him, like, "How many slaves escaped while I was gone? Why should no do this? You listen to." Me. I think that's exactly what it is. He is. He is 
show, he is trying to exert his power over him. And even though it's, he probably knows that Steven is smarter than him, I think he is trying to show Schultz that he's the one that's in charge here. You want to hear a fun thing about the DiCaprio monologue scene? I do. When he, when he smashes his hand on that glass, he did that for real. Uh, he was really he bleeding. He was really bleeding. That, that, that makes it even grosser on Kerry Washington's face then. <laughs> well, I think there's a cut at some point there because I think oh, at that, okay. I think at that point they're like, let's use that and now we'll put that into this other scene. Oh, like, cause, because I was thinking, wow, that, he's really committed. If there's, like, if there's one great. whole take of that, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Smash just like yeah. real blood into her face. The other thing is also, <laughs> yeah. Did you guys notice? Kerry Washington's like, cut, cut. <laughs> like, no! Watch the sands, please. <laughs> Did you guys uh, see that James Remar is in the movie twice? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. understand the point of that. I mean, I loved it. That was cool. Well, but... Michael Parks does the same thing in Kill Bill Volume 2. Or the Kill Bill movies. He's too popular. Michael Parks. Michael Parks is both, uh, he's, the, he's the sheriff at the beginning that finds, yeah. and, and he's also Esteban later on in the, the end of the movie. He's Esteban? Yes. Wow. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. And, I, yeah. and I'll say this about, um, well, I guess because you have Walton Goggins' character too, Will, Billy Crash, and he, one like him, I, him and uh, James Remar, like the character they played, like Walton Goggins' character was supposed to be, well, him, but and then the other James Remar character was supposed to be like either Kurt Russell or um, or uh, Kevin, Sasha Baron Cohen, right? Kev, or Sasha Baron Cohen or Kevin Costner, like, and they all could not make it into this movie, and so like that right. character kind of got combined into one and just became the Billy Crash character. Gotcha. Any last thoughts? Um, Tarantino should not have cast himself in his movie. I, see, there, there's the one I'll give you because, yeah, I never look forward to. T- with, you know, with just, the, an accent, no less. The Australian. The Australian. Oh my god, that was a <laughs> <laughs> Like the second they set it up, like, oh, here we go. <laughs> this is the scene. Like, why is he in his own movie again? Yeah. And it, if we can, why did Django kill those guys who were ready to help him? Yeah, like let them go die at the at at Candyland. There's there's still slave owners taking them away. I mean, because they wouldn't have really helped them. Like when they got there, they they would have turned on him immediately. I don't know if they would have turned on him. I don't know. I, I felt that they were pretty convinced of his story. Especially, I, yeah. I would say it did sway me that they're like, oh, okay, he, they killed all of them and gave Tarantino the best death of the movie. But I, I think it was like a, in service of a gag. Because I do think it was funny, like how trust, like okay, here's my gun. All right, now be careful. It's got like I, I they, they set up like that funny beat. But I yeah. feel like he could have schemed and used them more effectively and played on their stupidity. Like, now you carry the dynamite and ride in, and you set it up, and then he, like, you know, shoots the horse as it rides up or something and takes out some guys. I, th- I think the idea is just that it's setting up Django as this just mythic character that kills the white slave owners. And that, and it fits into this line of the, it's a spaghetti western about a black slave that's risen up. And I think it's, it's, it's turned, that's when, cause that's when it becomes Jamie Foxx's film at that point, because you have the other characters are dead. And it be, and it, it sets up almost a superhero film within the spaghetti western universe where he's and he and all he does is punish those who who deal in this sort of trade. And so like and I, he also does horse tricks. Yeah, he does horse tricks, yes. <laughs> Which I thought was completely <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> it adds more to his lore, yes, but unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> the, horse, the horse tricks and him like the way he, I love the, the way he's like, smiling and Kerry <laughs> <Carrie> Washington's there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, let's get to our rating then. Each week on Out Now Fahrenheit, we try to rate films based on ways you go and see them, and we have a scale that goes from IMAX to theater to dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. So, Jordan, on that scale, where would you put Django Unchained? Definitely theater. Like, seeing it with an audience was so much fun. So, theater. Christian? Netflix. 
flicks. Watch it at home and then halfway through realize you'd be better off watching Kill Bill or any other Tarantino movie and make the switch. It, I'd say Netflix as well. Yeah, I would say watch this in Quentin Tarantino's New Beverly Theater in Los Angeles with just a great crowd and have fun. Hmm. Do we have any time for some games, Aaron? Oh, we do. Jangoey this week. So charming. Yeah. All right. This week, I've created a game. It's called Off the Chain. I was, okay. I was letting, letting it sink in, um, <laughs> obviously. This is a collaborative game. Basically, it's very much like Six Degrees of, uh, of Hollow Man, of Kevin Bacon. And <laughs> I have two. I'm going to have. I'm going to name two actors, and we have to connect them back to each other, but we're going to take turns trying to do this and hoping and hoping that we can bring it back around. Without going off the chain, of course. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to say two actors, and then we're just each going to go one by one, naming a film that in that, that the actor connects to, and hopefully bring it back, bring it to the second character that I, the second person actor that I name. Okay. Ideally, okay. this will work. Snap it. Ideally, let's try this out, and then we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> All right. So Jamie Fox, I will connect that to Law Abiding Citizen with Gerard Butler. So just think of a Gerard Butler film. I will connect that with uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, in uh, uh, that new movie he was in. Playing for playing for Keats. Yes. So, I feel like we're getting farther away from Christoph Waltz. No, we, we, no we'll get back we'll get eventually. Back. Don't, okay. don't you worry about don't it. Worry, don't worry about it. <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones? Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is... She's in so much. She's in traffic. <laughs> she's in... With, yes. Which has everybody... With Don Cheadle. Sure. So now we're on Don Cheadle, who connects with... When we take out all who the... Who connects with uh, Nick Nolte and Hotel Rwanda. That's a that's a reach. Because um, Christoph Waltz can go to Green Hornet with Seth Rogen. I know, I'm trying to get him to Green Hornet. So, Green Hornet <laughs> to Seth Rogen, who can go to... Then, who goes to 50-50 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm confused now. Are we... Are we... Did we finish? No, no, we just have two. We have two. We have two lines. So we're at. We have Don Cheadle and Joseph Gordon-Levitt now. So connect them. How would Don Cheadle fit with Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Christoph Waltz? Well, we're mm-hmm. done with Christoph. We're we're, we're past. No, oh, no, Christoph Waltz. Yes, all right. Okay. The Don Cheadle stars with Don Cheadle stars goes with Nicolas Cage in The Family Man. Sure, but there's a Cage movie that links to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt with Bruce Willis and Looper to Cage. Get Cage to Willis. Nicholas Cage made a movie, and Bruce Willis made Hudson Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing that one workout. <laughs> could we do? Could we do? Nicholas Cage was in Face Off with John Travolta, John Travolta, and John Travolta was with Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. Done. Done. Okay. One down. Loop closed. Loop exactly. <laughs> Loop closed. Let's try another one. <laughs> okay, DiCaprio to Samuel L. Jackson. Okay, Leonardo DiCaprio was in hmm, Catch Me If You Can with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks was in uh, Road to Perdition with Jude Law. Jude Law was in. AI with Haley Joel Osment. Haley Joel Osment Haley. was in Six Sense of Bruce Willis, Willis and Unbreakable. 
Yes! Off the chain. Okay. <laughs> we should have sound effects every time we do we that. We should have started with that one. <laughs> yeah. In the right. editing, it might sound that way. <laughs> this might. <laughs> do you have another one? I have plenty. Christoph Waltz to Steve Buscemi. Whoa. Christoph Waltz was in... Was in Carnage with Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet was... Oh! Oh! I got it! Boom! Kate Winslet was in Revolutionary Road with Michael Shannon and... Oh, well, wait. Boardwalk Empire doesn't count. (laughs) Darn it. Okay, I I take that back. No, it's there. Um, It's there. You laid the track. Now you have to go from Michael Shannon to something. Okay, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon to Steve Buscemi. Michael Shannon was in... Take shelter with Jessica Chastain. Yeah. Jessica oh. Chastain was in. She was in Zero Dark Thirty. Tree of Life with Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was in. Uh, Brad Pitt was in. Oh, I know it. Brad Pitt was in. Uh, what's the one where he's like the stupid gym guy? Burn after reading with Francis McDormand. Or Francis McDormand was in. Steve Buscemi. Fargo. Yeah. Off the chain. Alright, I think that's enough of Off the Chain. Made my sound bit. Wow, we're getting good at this, Abe. What are you talking about? Yeah, finally, finally when we're done, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Here we go, I got, I got one more. Alright, ja- last Jamie one. Fox to John Travolta. Okay. No Pulp Fictions. To Jamie Fox to John Travolta. Um, okay, so Jamie Fox was in well, Crooked Bosses. Horrible Bosses. Horrible Bosses. Everyone calls it Crooked Bosses for some reason. I've heard that so often. I've never heard that one, so that's... Really? I have. With Um, with Colin Farrell. So Jamie Foxx was in Horrible Bosses with uh, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell was in uh, SWAT with Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson was in... Basic with John Basic with John (laughs) There you go. There you go. Did it. Mystery solved. Made a SWAT reference because we love that movie. We we played our games. Um... Hey. That was so much fun. <laughs> what are we going to talk about next week or next episode that we do? We're going to talk about Les Miserables, I imagine, right? Yeah. Yes, we are. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll do that when we do that. I don't, we're not going to do box office because there's no reason to. Um, both of those movies are making money. That's that's where we'll get at right then. Let's just – I guess we'll just wrap it up then because we've <laughs> officially done our review and game segment, the things that matter on the Out Now Preparing New Podcast. So that's uh, going to do it this week. Uh, you can find my work at my personal blog, thecodeseek.com. You can find all my written movie reviews, as well as whysoblue.com for Blu-ray reviews and all our top ten lists that me and the other guys at Whysoblue have been putting out this past week. And follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Abe? You can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Jordan? You can go to damndirtyblog.com blogspot.com. There's not much there, but don't worry, I'll update it soon. Or uh, Amsterdam Chap on Twitter for daily asinine jokes. Okay. Christian Spicer. Hey, yeah, you can come to the Coffee Bean on Fairfax and Sunset in Los Angeles, and we can share a latte together. We can hang out from there. We can go down to the Griddle, which is also on Sunset, and get some red velvet pancakes. The wait is usually long, depending on when you go, but they're usually delicious and worth it. And after that, I was thinking we would go down Santa Monica Boulevard to the pier and, I don't know, maybe play some carnival games and then take a walk on the beach together in which you'd look in my eyes and I'd look in yours and we'd both whisper at the same time, I love you. We'd then be taken aback by our 
chemistry and how well things have connected over such a short period of time and realize we're going to spend the rest of our lives together, at which point you take out your smartphone and say, how can I follow you on Twitter? And I'd say, shh, there's no time for Twitter where we're going. And you'd say, tell me anyway. And I'd say, well, it's at Spicer, but from now on I'm changing it to at you and us forever. So that's the new Twitter handle, and you can follow at Spicer. Also, Uninformed Opinions is a podcast I have. That Twitter handle, which is brand new, is Unop Podcast and uh, ChristianSpicer.com and Fairfax and Sunset Coffee Bean uh, for some coffee. That was amazing. I really just want to go down and have you take me to those places now. I'm hard. I'm you had you had me when you said you wanted to go down. <laughs> Gonna have to unchain these pants. Um, that, that wasn't that clever. Um, where you can find all the other episodes about now with their name on iTunes, of course. Also at hhwlod.com, you can find all the episodes there, along with other shows about movies and TV and comics and fun stuff with the guys that host those shows. Outnow.podomatic.com, you can find most of the newest episodes there and some exclusives. Email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, and twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow and like those pages for all the other updates. Um, I guess I'm on, I'm on the TV this week. Um, I don't know what this podcast will come out, but I'll be, I'll be talking on Django Unchained actually with the crew from Just Seen It. And I guess I can link to that on YouTube in the show notes, but, um, yeah, that's going to do it. We're going to talk about Lay Moves for our next bonus episode. And then I think we're going to have our top 10 episode of the year after that. So, you know, lots of exciting things to come out. I can, I'll be there. guys that will probably be involved in this <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, until next time, that's going to do it. So, so long. And goodbye. Vengeance is his, but I'ma do it first. I'm gonna handle my business in the name of the law. Oh, now if he made you cry, oh, I gotta know. If he's not ready to die, he best prepare for it. My judgment's divine, I'll tell you who you can call. You can call. Shelter, no place you can go. Yeah.